0: This episode of The Corner 3 is brought to you by Brilliant Earth. Brilliant Earth is the global leader in ethically sourced fine jewelry. Create your own custom engagement ring or choose from their unique designs made by master jewelers and enjoy free shipping on all U.S. orders. From now until February 3rd, you'll receive a complimentary pair of diamond studs with the purchase of an engagement ring. To see terms of the special offer and to shop all of Brilliant Earth's selections, go to brilliantearth.com slash NBA. Now it's time for The Corner 3. Welcome to the Ringer NBA Show. This is the Corner 3. Joining me from Dallas, Texas, it's Ringer staff writer Jonathan Sharks. What's up, guys? It's going to be a weird pod today. There's no
1: Danny. We'll see how this chemistry goes. He was kind of the glue guy, I feel like. Does that make us the pull up two today or something, Sharks? A lot of inefficient takes. I could see that
0: happening. So, Oh, hmm. <laughs> We'll see. It we, we could be the N one layup but later in the show, uh, I'll be joined by my friend Matt Quinn from the band Mount Joy, whose band was in Ringer Studios yesterday on Thursday to record a session for our YouTube page. So that's just a little thing nice. we'll have at the end of the this show. This is
1: why like KOC's hip. To, I don't know what that even is, to be honest, this band. Mount Joy. Check, check them out, Sharks. I know rock's not your thing, but... I'm just old, man. New music. I just can't even get into it anymore. It's terrible. They have a
0: classic sound. I feel like they're one of those bands that can bridge old-school classic rock fans with new-school rock fans. Really good. Really good. Anyway, today's podcast is engineered by Isaac Lee, and it's produced by Bobby Wagner. We're recording on Friday, January 18th at 9.15 a.m. Pacific. Charks, what the heck is happening to the Oklahoma City Thunder? Well, I mean,
1: if you lose to the Lakers without LeBron, like you're in a pretty bad spot. The Lakers just lost to the Cavs at
0: home and they beat the OKC. That's not a good sign. It was another... Rough game for Russell Westbrook. 7 30 last night. And it's like, ho oh, hum, you know, just another day for Russ. We're used Thanks to this. To this. <laughs> well, well, yeah, this happens far too often where Westbrook <laughs> becomes Westbrook. He's shooting 23% on catch and shoot threes, 37% on pull up twos, 22% on pull up threes, only 65% on the line, only 49% in transition, only an effective field goal percentage of 44% in pick and roll. All these are really bad. And it's career lows for him. It's it's not like efficiency has ever been his hallmark trait charts, but this is really low. This is really different. It feels like it's more than a cold streak. I mean, there are levels to inefficiency,
1: right? Like, you can be inefficient and be okay, but he's, like, been one of the least efficient players in the NBA, and he takes, like, 20 shots a game. Though I will say, I mean, in his defense, like, I guess this is a weird thing to say, but he's been doing this all season. It isn't like he just started playing bad. Like, really... His struggles are kind of baked into the cake in OKC okay, at this point. I think what's going on <laughs> right now, really, is that their bench has been killing them. Like, they've missed Nerland's Noel a lot. They have absolutely zero depth. Never would have expected to say that entering the season, but it's true. Yeah, so like, without Nerland's in, he came back last night, but without him in, they've had to move Jer- uh, Jeremy Grant to the backup five, stagger his minutes, which puts Patrick Patterson in the starting in the lineup. And Patterson has just been cooked all season. Like, if you look at their plus-minuses in this last six games, like Patterson, TLC, Hamadou Diallo, Abdel Nader, like, they're all absolutely killing the team after. After top five players, there isn't much talent there.
0: Yeah, last night, I think one of the issues is without Noel... Their pick-and-roll defense up and down the board has just been awful, especially last night. Lakers had 40 possessions with the pick-and-roll and scored 47 points. That's a, a dominant number. They were scoring on backdoor cuts out of the pick-and-roll. Offensive rebounds, lobs for Zubats, pull up, open pull-up threes, wide the open great layups. Zubats, was, was. The great the Zubats, KOC. The Zubots The renaissance is happening. Yeah, Zubats looking like a Hall of Famer last night. <laughs> 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 that, that, that was something else. And I think, you know, when it, when it comes to the depth, Russell Westbrook, this is a time where he would need to make it up make it up with the lack of depth. I mean, look, not to compare him to James Harden, but Harden, with all the injuries, has kept that team afloat. And right now, Oklahoma City losing five of six, losing eight of their last 13, is really sliding. And Russell Westbrook still hasn't elevated his play. Paul George is still putting up MVP numbers. He's still defending at a high level. But Russell Westbrook has not. And I, I mean, I, I don't want to say I'm worried about Russ, but for the last two seasons, his free throw percentage has been down. His shooting numbers are down. And Royce Young from ESPN had a really nice article about how Russ being such a creature of habit with the NBA not allowing uh, uh, players to go behind the three-point line before free throws has knocked him out of his rhythm, something he's done his entire life. Russ, a guy who has shot above 80% nearly every season of his career from the line, I wonder if those struggles have started a trickle into his pull-up shooting, into his spot-up shooting, and that overall just plummeted his efficiency. Here's the
1: thing, though. Like, Harden raising his game, Harden can score from anywhere on the floor, so it almost doesn't matter who's around him, right? Yeah, Like, if you're exactly. pulling up from 35 feet, then whatever. Like, that shot's always there. Russ has never been a great shooter. He has to get to the rim. And the problem, I think, with Russ for the longest time, he was so athletic and he was so aggressive that he could create cracks to the rim even with no space around him. But now as he's, I think he's 30 now and still OKC has no real shooting around him. So it's like there's nowhere for him to go and he can't pull up outside either. I think, I mean, I think to me, like Russ needs, as he gets older, he needs players to compliment him more. And I still don't really think OKC compliments Russ on offense. Though, of course, the question is,
0: do you want a in to compliment Russ on offense anymore? I don't know. In other words, you're thinking it's more physical decline and not something that could be you know, a mental block where the free throw shooting is just manifesting in other ways.
1: Well, I just think like as he gets older, he needs bigger driving lanes to the rim, right? And I think like he doesn't really have any, like He's still playing with a lot of non-shooters on the floor most of the time. And now it's like, okay, there's non-shooters everywhere. We're going to back
0: off Russ and like, pack the paint. I mean, there's only so much he can do. I mean, that was the odd thing about last night's game. Oklahoma City shot 22-54 of from three, and part of the reason why they, A, made so many, and B, shot so many was because the Lakers were just sagging off allowing open shots. I'm not sure this team, with this, the shooters on this team, Ferguson of six of, at 6 of 12, Dude, I will Patterson say, he's, 3 he's of 4. He's not playing bad. No, I like Ferguson. No, Ferguson's I, I been too. good this year. I do, but he's not a 50% three-point yeah. shooter. And even wow. Russ is probably not going to shoot 5 or 12 most nights. Uh, oh, I'm not probably. So, definitely yeah. Not yeah. <laughs> they're, you can pick out the probably. To your point, their supporting cast around Russell Westbrook does not have many potent shooters, which is what he would need, ideally. Yeah,
1: because I think what they've always been thinking is like, okay, we've got Russ... Russ will be the offense. We'll put defense around him. And that's kind of always been their formula. But it's like, as Russ gets older, he can't just be the offense. He needs
0: more help. I don't really, and I'm not sure how they get it to him. I mentioned earlier that the pick and roll stat, Lakers scoring 47 points on 40 pick and roll possessions. Are you seeing anything from Oklahoma City's defense that has led to their regression as of late? Or was last night more a case of the Lakers just executing at a a super, super high level, which I thought was probably their their best overall offensive game of the season, especially without LeBron. I
1: mean, I I wonder if it's more about OKC than LA. Because, like, you look at LA the last couple of weeks, I think before this game, they, like, their last two games, they beat the Bulls and they beat the Thunder. And before they lost the Cavs at home. So I, I wonder if this is, like, less about an LA renaissance and more about OKC. And I think OKC just stretched thin. I think they have, like, five good defensive players and they all start, like, I'm just not sure this team as currently constructed, I think they need all their players back. Like, what's up with the Breenas? What's up with the Robertson? Like, they need everyone.
0: Yeah. I think for the Lakers last night, they, they ran, as far as I could tell, more pick and rolls and a lot of double screens, more so than they have, I think, all season long, and especially with Zubots in the game. That that's something I'd like to see them do more often. And by the way, Zubots last night. That's just that's not the first time he's had a really good game this season. He, he dominated on Christmas Day against the Warriors, and right now I'm I'm looking at JaVale McGee. Ever since he returned, he does not look the same. He's playing very lethargic. Tyson Chandler. You know, he's solid, but he's old. Well, he's like, a more limited Zubats player. is way more skilled than those guys, right? Absolutely. And so without,
1: without LeBron, like LeBron can make those guys' lives so easy. And without LeBron, you kind of have to work to get your points a little more. And Zubats has just got way
0: more offensive skill than Tyson or JaVale. I think Zubats is due for an increase in minutes. I think he needs to be the number one guy in that three-man, big-man rotation. Interesting. Yeah.
1: I mean, I think until LeBron comes back, when, which whenever that's going to be. But until he comes back, they need centers who can kind of do more than just catch lobs, probably. Because these other guys can't really create shots for them in the same way LeBron could.
0: Yeah, so LeBron will be out on Saturday night against the Rockets. We'll see if he returns Monday. Don't really know yet. Doesn't so, seem like yeah. it, does it? It
1: doesn't seem I like mean, it, no. All the quotes coming out, like, we're taking our time, running those timeline.
0: Like, I mean, then again, it, here's my thing. Can you trust anything that's coming out? when When this first started, it's like day-to-day, day-to-day. And here we are. That's true, you know? but I feel like... I'm
1: leading at this point I'm leaning more towards pessimism about LeBron and optimism about this injury. I just don't see them rushing him back given his in- minutes load. And we all saw what happened on Christmas Day. It didn't look
0: like that was a it was like a minor injury. No. And I, I believe was, Rich Paul said this to the Athletic um uh, and I think he said if it were the playoffs he'd be playing. Um it's not the playoffs and there's no reason to rush him back because you that's when you need him healthy.
1: Yeah, they just got to find a way to stay even without him. I am mean, dart of the playoffs right now,
0: right? Dart of the top 8. Yeah, the Lakers are tied with Utah for the 8 seed.
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean I don't know. I mean, if LeBron's out two or three more weeks, I'm not sure where this team is going to be. Probably out of
0: the playoffs. <laughs> yeah. That would be my guess, where Le- LeBron needs to help his team storm back and make his MVP case.
1: And Utah's making a run right now. They're playing really well lately. They're so pu-
0: They're pushing. They're they're 8-2 they're they're eight, eight in yep. the last 10 games. They've they been killing it. Donovan Mitchell elevating his play. Uh, it's KOC, it's, really it's about the great Joe Ingles. Let's be real. It's all Joe Ingles. <laughs> it's Absolutely. always about Joe Ingles. Always Joe Ingles, of course. Number one player on that team, Mitchell. Who's who's that? Sharks. Who's Donovan Mitchell? It's all about Joe I'm Ingles. I'm thinking.
1: I'm doing a Joe Ingles piece next week. I might Ooh. push that out. There. I'm not sure. Okay. I'm, I'm thinking about it.
0: I'm, I'm not sure how bold I'm going to be in my Joe Ingles takes. Big feature. I'm. I'm looking forward to that. Um, also, in last last night, the Sixers beat the Indiana Pacers one twenty to ninety six. Indiana's three and three over their last six. Sharks. Pacers have lost by a combined sixty seven points in those losses against the Raptors, Celtics, and now last night the Sixers. They're 11 and 12 against teams above 500. This team has been great all year. Um, is there any reason for concern with their, especially recent struggles against top Eastern Conference teams? I mean, I think kind of, right? So I went back and
1: looked. So I, to me, the teams, for, if you're Indiana, the measuring sticks, right? It's Boston, Milwaukee, Philly, Toronto. they are three and six against those teams this season. And you look at the top line talent, like Indiana has always been winning games on like their depth and their, roster and their overall ability, one through nine. But the top-line talent's just not there. So, I don't know. I'm I'm getting a little worried about them if I'm talking about them as a contender
0: in the East. Kate, Caitlin Cooper on SB Nation wrote a really nice article yesterday about Indiana, how they've done well despite some of their struggles, including Victor Oladipo. Uh, I think with Oladipo, the, there's one way to look at it. You can say his effective field goal percentage is down, true shooting is down, three-point shooting numbers are down. But really, I wonder if maybe... It was just a superb hot streak shooting the ball at the beginning of last season. Mm. I mean, he's just back to his norm. And both, I mean, He's like, aggressed a little bit to the knee. Yeah, he, his effective field goal percentage right now is 49.3. True shooting is 52.5. Both those numbers are pretty much identical to his career numbers. I, I mean, he's taken a lot of bad pull-ups early in the clock. Feels like he's taken too many lessons from Russell Westbrook. was a great player. He He's an all-star. He's a great defender. He's improved as a passer. But the scoring has declined, and as part of Indiana's offense, which isn't that good, um, I, I do worry, as you're saying, sharks, that they have enough real star power to to put them on the same level of those other I mean, good, he has, he has teams. Yeah, hasn't right? So he was, he has he what? Has. Like, it was
1: an, a knee thing for about a, six, yep. a two weeks, three weeks.
0: They came back from that. For what it's worth, I heard that that was just them playing it very conservative, that he was okay. Well, I mean, they, they were okay without him. Do you think they can make a trade, or do you think this is just their team? I mean, this is one of those teams where. You look at their roster and you wonder, well, what asset are you giving up to give something, right? I mean, I don't think you want to trade Miles Turner to get something really good back. He's a defensive player of the year candidate. You're not trading Sabonis, who is a well, six-man of the, the year that's candidate. that's the question,
1: right, KOC? That's always a question about this team. If two of their top three best players can play together, is this a long-term fit? Yeah. I mean, I think Sabonis has been great this year. But they got to pay him pretty soon.
0: I, I think if you're Indiana, you shouldn't make any panic trades. I don't. I, I think with their current spot... You look ahead to the summer. You can create just loads of cap space. Yeah, but is Indiana going to be know, a free agent destination? I know, I know the odds are that they end up just bringing Thaddeus Young back and Bogdanovich and back. I know, I know. That's the odds are. That's what happens. But at least maybe you can bring those guys back and then make a really strong offer sheet on one of the restricted guys. I I, I think I'd prefer that route rather than yeah trading a, a good asset for something. I would wonder
1: too. Maybe the point guards. Right, they're paying eighteen to Carlson and Joseph. Maybe you could move off one of them and try to get something.
0: I agree. I think that's maybe the, the maybe that's what you do here. And I had heard, uh, I think this may have been reported. If, if it hasn't, um, Corey Joseph was a guy they could be looking to move. Yeah, it's they been take, out
1: there because they like holiday. Yes, they, they to, do like holiday and,
0: he, and he's somebody they want to get um, more playing time to.
1: I think what you were saying in terms of like, if I was like Indiana or Utah, I think I'm more trying to get guys on bigger contracts or teams want to move off of than like count on free agency. Because I feel like those guys, those teams are better off using their cap space now in trades than trying to get in that
0: mix for, for your elite player this summer. By the way, despite that game last night, Thaddeus Young, 27 points, 11 of 17, playing terrific defense all season long, defending the best player on opposing teams. That Thaddeus Young is a guy, ever since he was a young player on the Sixers, I didn't love him. He was a solid guy, but... As, as, you know, he's now 30 years old. I've grown to love him as a player, Charles. This guy's really, really good. Yeah, he's just
1: kind of slipped through the cracks a little bit, you know, league-wide. He's just so solid at every aspect of the game, and he can get buckets. I mean, you look at this team, Young and Bogdanovich, like, no one really talked about them, but they have been as, almost as important as Yellow Depot over the last two years as a resurgence. Like, two six, eight, six, nine forwards, who can play both ends of the floor. Really smart players, accept their roles behind Yellow Depot.
0: They're great. We're going to have plenty of Sixers talk later later in the podcast with Matt Quinn, who is, you know, hardcore Sixers fans. Uh, but one thing Matt and I didn't discuss that I wanted to ask you about, Sharks was in last night's game, uh, Joel Embiid, he was awesome. 22 points, 13 rebounds, 8 assists. It's a really great game. But every single time he was on the sideline, he was getting treatment done. The, the lower back is bothering him, which mm-hmm. is originally the lower back is what knocked him down in the NBA draft. He had a stress fracture in his lower back. We don't know what the injury is right now. just It's sore. It's in pain. He had the knee injury earlier early this season. And Bede, playing through these injuries, had Charles Barkley going off last night during halftime. He called the Sixers the stupidest franchise for for playing their center, who's in pain during a regular season game. I'm just curious about your general thoughts on that, especially what what Barkley said. Should he be resting or just I don't know that it's totally Philly's choice though, right?
1: Like Embiid wants to prove he's healthy. Embiid wants to like win the MVP. Embiid wants, like you can't just shut this guy down. Like they, they have enough problems managing egos as it is. I don't know that they can just shut him down whenever they want to.
0: He's not Tim Duncan. He's on his 30s. He wants to play. 100%. I I totally agree with you. Embiid has even said this before about how he doesn't want to rest, how he hated the minutes restriction. This is, I think, more about Embiid saying he can manage the pain, And he did last time. He was tremendous. He was great, despite the fact he was kind of laboring out on the floor. I think this speaks to a... A bigger topic where it's like with Ben Simmons, a lot of people are like, oh, should they trade Ben Simmons? You know, But really, I think besides an Anthony Davis trade, there's nothing you would trade him for. And that's partially because of who Simmons is a player, but it's also because of who Joel Embiid is as a player. If Embiid were to ever suffer another major injury, and let's hope to God that he never does. I mean, he's one of the best players in the league. He's one of the funnest players in the league to watch. But if he ever does... Suddenly, this is Ben Simmons' team, and suddenly you're building around Ben or Simmons. Or is it? Or is it Jimmy Butler's team? <laughs> oh, okay. I, don't, I don't know, but it should be Ben Simmons' team, theoretically, on paper.
1: And Tell the to Jimmy, man. He's got his own coffee mug, so he's not trying to be out here. <laughs> but
0: in Beats health is why you can't trade Ben Simmons. He is your, he's your cornerstone insurance, because he's also a cornerstone player himself. Yeah, but here's the thing, though, KOC. Like, does Ben
1: Simmons want to be insurance the next three years? I mean, it's like so much of like at this level of the game, it's just like dealing with these relationships, these star players and like making them happy.
0: I don't think he is insurance. Not yet. At least if he, if he really falls into that third wheel role, then, then maybe I mean, we'll, we'll see. see what
1: happens in the playoffs, man. I cannot wait to watch Sixers
0: in the playoffs. The takes that are come out of this, oh man, it's gonna be great, man. Next eleven games for Philadelphia is gonna to be tough. We'll to have more Sixers talk later in the podcast. They were great last night. Speaking about third wheels, there's a, a second wheel um, that wants out of a situation. Oh, Dennis- we gotta talk
1: about this, KFC. Yeah, yeah. I'm off of the ledge right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Talk
0: me <laughs> off this ledge. I'm very worried. Yesterday, ESPN's Tim McMahon reported on that it's Plan A for the Mavericks to reconcile their relationship with second-year point guard Dennis Smith Jr., who hasn't played since January 7th, and he reportedly wants out because he's unhappy with his role behind Luka Doncic. McMahon said that Dallas hasn't necessarily sent him away from the team, as that Dennis Smith Jr.'s camp decided that he wants a trade because he's frustrated. And the Athletics' Tim Cato, a good friend of the show, added the Mavericks want Dennis Smith back on their terms, though, because Carlisle wants him playing the role that he wants him to play, and we don't know if Dennis Smith is going to accept it. He's not on the road trip right now. Charks, how is a second-year guard who isn't good yet making such a power move? What's going know, on in man. Dallas?
1: What does this man think? He's Jimmy Butler? Come on. <laughs> like, how are you going to make a power move averaging 12 points a game? I don't maybe, know. Maybe, I'm, I'm maybe he
0: saw Jimmy Butler pull this. Maybe he and his agent saw this. And I'm like, huh, why can't I do that?
1: <laughs> I mean, it's weird. It's a weird thing. Like, I get where Dennis is coming from to a certain degree. Like, I get that, okay, I'm this point guard. I want the ball in my hands. I was the guy last year. I don't really want to take a step back. And I think that's a problem for a lot of young guys in the league. And it's just that, you know, they don't want to do that. But of course, the problem is Dennis isn't that good right now. So, no, he Like With, with Jimmy, <laughs> so Jimmy does all the stuff he does. Teams are still like, man, I want Jimmy Baller on my team. I'll give you a good offer. Like, KOC, why would anybody give the Mavs a good offer for Dennis Smith right now? There's no reason to give them a good offer right now. And so here's the thing for the Mavs. So you traded your lottery pick next year for Luka, which that's fine. We all like that. Oh, yeah. You got Luka Tra- this year. Trade a couple more retroactively if yeah, you want. Well, but here's to, the right? thing, though. You have. <laughs> With Dennis Smith, like, kind of falling off the map, all of a sudden you have Luka and you have no lottery picks around him. You have no real way to add more talent around him. You've never been a and destination Like I'm worried long term. Like I was always worried that like they had to maximize Dennis to make this team viable going forward,
0: and then not only not not even maximizing Dennis, not even using him anymore. Like I'm very concerned. It's easy to understand why they're not though. And you know, Dennis has poor court vision. He's a poor decision maker. He over dribbles. DSJ is just not. A good fit right now for that offense especially when you have Luka Doncic who already plays like he's a 15-year NBA veteran in the pick and roll there's just no space no for I mean I, I get it I get it why I get it but it's like what
1: who's going to be the number two player on Dallas next year if it's not Dennis
0: is it really about next year or is it really about whenever the opportunity comes to get that guy whether it's a free agent in 19 or in 20 or 20 but I'm, I'm
1: saying I'm not sure the opportunity's going to come KOC Dallas has never gotten a big time free agent, unless you to count Harrison Barnes, which I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> no, no offense, Harrison's good player. <laughs>
0: raise your hand if you would count Harrison Barnes as a marquee free agent signing for the Dallas okay and so then they're gonna trade for one right there's nothing on the team to trade maybe if Harrison Barnes is listening to the show I'm sorry Harrison's a
1: good guy he's a good guy (laughs) he's a great guy NBA
0: champion gold medalist but DeAndre Jordan could be raising his hand as well you know I'm a marquee free agent (laughs) he was he was not when the Mavs got him
1: though and so like KOC who would they trade for now to get someone to play with Luka who's the trade piece that's gonna bring in a good player beats me man I'm not a fan Dennis Smith. Um, so, well, you see what I'm saying though, right? Like Dallas is in a really tough spot right now and I don't really know what they're going to do. I'm kind of concerned.
0: I don't know, man. I, I, I don't know what the solution here is. I think ultimately if you're Dallas, what they're trying to do right now is they're trying to be- bring Dennis Smith back because it's not like it, it, can't necessarily work you know, long-term. Dennis Smith has shot around 38% on catch-and-shoot threes. The problem is, is that he doesn't make up for it elsewhere. He doesn't defend well. It's not like he's a great rebounder. It's not like he's even a great pick-and-roll playmaker. So I- I'm not sure. Like, I-, I would ideally, I would love to see... A star that's worthy of taking the ball out of Luca's hands. So then you could use Luca, obviously in spot up situations, but also cuts and also using him as an on ball screener. That would create mismatch issues, using him on a short roll, using him on pick and pop. You can get really, really, you can get even more creative than Luca than you already are. I
1: I will say this though I don't think Luca wants someone to come in here who's taking the ball out of his hands. I'll tell you that. Like that's not what's gonna happen.
0: Yeah, but what's he gonna do? Like when if Dallas ever becomes a championship contender, there's gonna be is there's gonna be a star player who compliments him that takes him well, all out of his the ball. Well that's the thing, like
1: in Luca's mind, it'll be complimenting Luca, right? And that's what I wonder too about this whole situation. So obviously Phoenix passed on Luca at one, Sacramento passes him at two. And not to say that Dennis is as good as De'Aaron Fox or Devin Butler, because he isn't, but wouldn't those guys have the same problems with Luca being the man that Dennis does?
0: I'm not sure they would, honestly. I I think, you know, it's possible. Like, Luka Doncic goes into Sacramento and De'Aaron Fox is annoyed at first. Uh, The year he's having, he might be the most improved player of the year. I'm saying if Luka's there, he's probably not. He probably wouldn't be. You're right. But they also could be a better overall team. And I think those guys can complement each other. Fox is a much better defender than than Dennis Smith. He's a better spot-up shooter this season. He's better at virtually everything, up and down the board. And same is also true for Devin Booker, who... Has said, "I want to build a super team. I want the super team to come to be in Phoenix, and for that to happen, it requires having other guys who are going to get touches." And but see,
1: here's the thing, though: like coming to him means coming to him with him as the guy. He's like, "Yeah, Luke, you can come here, but I'm the guy. You screen for me." I don't know if that's necessarily true.
0: I I really don't. I I that's not
1: what I've heard. I was asking about this, and I like he wants to be the guy about Devin Booker. Yeah, I mean, why wouldn't he? Like, he's a max player. So does Luca though. That's the thing. It's like, it's really hard to manage these egos. It happens. I think that's, Th- that's
0: how you win championships. You sacrifice and, and, and you but I, win. But
1: KOC, I, I would say, like, if you look at champions, it generally comes later in your career. Like, why was Love willing to sacrifice in Cleveland? Because he had been the man in Minnesota and it hadn't worked. Obviously, Kyrie didn't want to sacrifice long term. He left. Like
0: these young guys, it's, they have a hard time backing into a smaller role. Maybe that's true in some cases, but it's also not true in others. Like is SGA unhappy that he's playing behind Avery Bradley or Lonzo Ball sharing the ball, or Jamal Murray with Nikola Jokic, Gary Harris, D'Angelo Russell with Spencer Dinwiddie, Marcus Smart? Uh, I think I think Russell and Dinwiddie could be a serious issue. Yeah, that would not surprise me at all
1: if that was a concern. McCollum and Lillard, Lillard have for years. McCollum grew into his role. I. And I think to all those guys, like SGA was number what thirteen pick. It's different when you come with higher expectations, right? Like Lucas, like I'm the number one overall pick. I'm not going to sacramento play off Deion Fox. Like I was the MVP of the Euro League. I'm not going to think play off Devin Booker. It's just different. The
0: higher expectations are. Sure, I, I just think it's more about specifically DSJ is just not a good fit virtually anywhere because because if you if you're playing if you're trying to build a championship team. You can't really do it with a guy who's a small, little, tiny point guard who doesn't defend, who doesn't doesn't rebound, and Dennis Smith has moments on defense, but for the he's most part, he's, Yeah, he has. Offensive. For what it's worth, yeah, to be fair. But overall, overall, he's
1: just not a great fit. Well, I will say for Dallas, what they can try to sell him on is that Berea is Torres' Achilles, which is a huge injury for the Mavs, like last week. So what happened with Dennis this year is Luca was the point in the first unit, and Berea is the point in the second unit. So Dennis never really got to be the point guard anymore. And at least with Berea out, you can say, okay, look, Dennis, Lucas still going to have the ball at the first, but we can stagger your minutes so you can play more at the seconds and get your stats back up. That's the pitch, but I'm just not sure it's going to convince him. I mean, this almost feels like Patrick McCaw to me right now, where you have a young guy who's really who thinks he's better than he is and is trying to leverage something, but he has no actual leverage.
0: I want to get back to your point about Luka Doncic, though. like You mentioned how he wants to be the man. I, I think he's always going to be the man, though. It's kind of like a, a Stephen Curry thing in Golden State where Luka is the face of the Dallas Mavericks. But, I mean, if a couple years from now, Miles Bridges or... Now you're speaking this, our language. I mean, I mean, Miles, Miles Bridges. But it's like if Miles Bridges comes and signs with Dallas Mavericks years from now, or Darren Fox for that matter. If another guy who handles the ball comes to Dallas and increases their chances at the a championship, I don't think, but see, I I, think I don't, it's going to be like, no. Well, that's different though, because
1: in six years, he'll be much older and more mature, right? And he'll already have had the time to be the man. I think like there's a natural progression for careers for these really ball dominant players. You look at LeBron and Wade in Miami, I'm sure that would have worked when they were 22 and 21. They'd have both been like, I want to be the guy, I want to dominate. And then they're like, okay, let's let's win championships. But then it happens later in your career when you've already made money, you've already established yourself. It's hard to sell sacrifice to guys early in their career.
0: There's older players who don't want to sacrifice. There's, there's younger players that don't want to sacrifice. Melo is is washed up and he doesn't want to sacrifice because well, he's a of the star. League. Yeah, I know. I, I just think it it happens regardless of age, regardless of situation. It's just more specifically, it's more specifically about the player personality and Dennis Smith. Just doesn't want to share. He still thinks of himself as the guy no differently than some older guys do.
1: But do you see what I'm saying? Like, I, For do you sure. Do think yeah.
0: that's why Sacramento didn't
1: take Luca Because they said he wanted
0: to build around Fox and Fox is the face of our yeah, franchise. I, I think that was part of it with, with them. I, I think with um, with Phoenix, I think it was more the evaluation and the fit. I think it was a little bit of both because DeAndre Ayton's a great prospect. By the way, Like DeAndre Ayton, early season, just a quick aside, he was getting shredded on defense. He's been solid. Past month or so. He's getting progressively better on that end of the floor. Uh, That fit looks terrific there. The Booker 8 in combination could be deadly for the next decade. Uh, With Sacramento, I I do think part of it was about De'Aaron wanting to be the guy. And I think a little bit also was about the concern about the fit too because De'Aaron last season did not shoot the ball well at all. So he struggled off the ball. And I think it's the same logic there from Sacramento's front office um, that right now we're seeing with Dallas. But of course, you know, it seems like, Fo- Fo- it seems like Fox hasn't proved his shot significantly.
1: Dallas, though. I don't think, really wants to move Dennis. Like, they've seen what they can get for him, and they know they have to get something from this asset. The problem is, if he wants to be traded, no one wants to trade for him. So you buy that Dallas wants to hold on. I think they want to maximize their return. Like we've been talking about, they have no other assets on their roster. Like, they can't afford to turn Dennis into nothing. If
0: they do, they're in a pretty bad spot going forward. Moving on, let's quickly go through our all-star selections with votes being finalized on Monday. Starting in the Western Conference, James Harden and Stephen Curry locks in the backcourt. Right, sharks, No arguments there? Can you like, walk me through the, the voting?
1: So, fan vote is 50% of the vote? Yeah. And so... Basically, they can be overridden by any point by the me. It's the media and the players who decide the other fifty percent. Yes, twenty five. Okay, so each. just because Luca's number two or whatever in the forward doesn't really matter. Exactly. Right.
0: Yeah. Okay. I, I, yeah. I would be surprised if he were the starter before that. Yeah, reason. I would be yeah, too. Yeah. I'd definitely be surprised. But but, 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 so, yeah, but I mean, these Harden. are predictions. These are like our choices. Right. Okay. You know, so well, either way, Stephen Harden, Harden and Curry—they're locks, yeah. locks, right? Yeah. Okay. So in the West, the front court is, is really crowded. You get Anthony Davis, Kevin Durant, Paul George, LeBron James, Nicole Jokic. Is there is there anybody else that should be in consideration as those three starting front court spots? I don't think so. Me neither. I, I think of those three The lock, the first lock in my mind is Anthony Davis. I don't really care if Pelicans are on a playoff team. AD's averaging 33 points, 15 rebounds, four assists, two blocks, two steals since December 10th. Pelicans are seven and nine over that stretch. Upcoming upcoming schedule doesn't lighten up, but it's no fault of AD if they lose. This team falls apart when you pull one of him or Holiday off the floor. AD's a lock as a starter. Yeah. I mean, to me, the the assist is what's really
1: incredible. Like, he was never been a passing guy until this season at 4.4 now. Like yeah, He just keeps
0: getting better every season. He's killing it. KD, I think, is also a lock, in my mind. Um, dropping 28-7-6, 20, and 6, again, you know, ho-hum. This is what KD always does. Uh, just to give that some historical perspective, um, the only players to score over 28 points with a true shooting percentage over 62 are Adrian Dantley, Charles Barkley, Carl Malone, Boston's Isaiah Thomas, Steph Curry. This season, Harden's also doing it, and this could be KD's fourth time. Another outstanding season for the future Hall of Famer.
1: Yeah. I mean, to me, to me, Anthony Davis and Kevin Durant, they've proven enough over the last few years. Like, to me, the all-star game about putting the best players on the court, the starters. So I'm not really that concerned if, like, for as good as Jokic and George have been, no one's taking those guys over Kevin Durant ever. It just, they're just not as good. So why would they start over him no matter what the over the first 40
0: games of the season are? Yeah, I think, you know, that last spot, George has had by far the defensive season of the three, Jokic and LeBron, and, you know, LeBron and Jokic are both the centerpieces of their offense. Everything runs through Jokic. LeBron's LeBron, and he'll have missed 13 games and counting Uh, when votes are finalized on Monday. But I, I think, to your point... It's kind of hard to argue against Chark. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's kind of hard to argue against Always LeBron James. hard to like, <laughs> argue
1: against Chark. Yes. I heard that. <laughs> it is.
0: <laughs> it, it, it's kind of hard to argue
1: against LeBron as being the choice here. I mean, he's the face of the league. What, what's what's really going to happen here? Like, LeBron is yeah. LeBron. Like, LeBron sells tickets. LeBron puts people in seats. This is entertainment product. He's got to be in the All Star game. he got to be starting. He's going to win. He's going to be the captain of the team.
0: Mm hmm. I I think right now I have LeBron penciled into that third spot, Um, but we'll see. I mean, we'll see if he's healthy. That's the only real question. Speaking of All-Star, you can still vote. It's time for NBA All-Star voting, and this year it's actually easier than ever for fans to vote because you can vote just by searching on Google. Just search for your favorite player or team and you can vote right in the search bar. You can also search on Google, stay up to date with live scores and view upcoming game schedules. The All Star Game is February seventeenth, and voting runs until January twenty first. Fans can vote for ten players a day, so go vote on Google. Moving on to the Eastern Conference, Sharks. You know, no doubt about the front court on this side. I think with Giannis, Joel Embiid, and Kawhi Leonard agreed. Yeah, that's pretty pretty simple. Yeah, I think so too. And, and then the backcourt, Kyrie's a lock, I, I think as well. You know, averaging twenty three points, seven assists. He's you know playing best de- regular season defense of his life. He gets the edge over the others. Who, who do you think is the guy in that other guard spot? So it
1: seems like to me your second guard spot is what, Lowry, Kyle Lowry, Ben Simmons, Victor Oladipo, Kemba Walker. Are those kind of the four guys in the running? Or am I,
0: am I forgetting anybody?
1: Uh, yeah, a, a Bradley Beal, I mean the Wizards have been so bad this year. We can't put a wizard in starting in the all-star game.
0: I mean, he's killing it, man. 30 points, six rebounds, five assists since John Wall went down. Oof. I mean, he's making it that a That was like, run. but that's only been like what two weeks? Yeah. He wouldn't be my choice. I have Ben Simmons in there right now. Ooh, I like who, who, who it. do you have? I
1: mean, to me, none of these guys. I mean, I think Simmons is the best talent, but Lowry, I think, has been like the key to Toronto season. Like Lowry's getting like nine assists a game. He's really, he's taken a step back with Kawhi there and he's really kind of the engine of the offense. Like you've seen the Raptors without Kawhi win a lot of games. Without Lowry, they haven't been nearly as good.
0: I think that's fair. Um, I think part of it with me, with Lowry, is that he's missed 11 games. I know I hate talking about games missed, um, but I think that's one reason why I'm giving Ben Simmons the edge over him. Granted, Simmons, the only thing he really can't do is shoot. He's done everything else for this team. He's playmaking at an elite level. His defense isn't quite as great as it was last season, but still good. Um, I just think Ben Simmons has made a greater overall impact. Uh there's a you know we talked about Victor Oladipo earlier. I think there's a case to make for him as well, uh, despite his scoring efficiency being down. He is still the the centerpiece of that team. Uh, Kemba Walker as well. He's fallen I was off just gonna after say, his Kemba's first now start. Now I think about it, I Kemba's know, the best player I of these guys. I and mean, this is tough. Uh, this is a really tough slot in the Eastern Conference.
1: Yeah, you know what? I'm changing my vote. I'm putting Kemba in there. That's fair. I think Kemba just better than the other guys. And like Charlotte without Kemba is just horrible.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's um tough choice i'm not sure what i'll i'll decide for for that spot yet but i think everything else uh pretty much locked in it's not hard this year yeah
1: i would say really it's just this last guard spot in the east is going to be the one that's open the
0: reserves in in both conferences are almost more interesting than the starters especially in the back end of those rosters we'll create plenty of content for that over the next two weeks i'm sure absolutely Lastly, let's look ahead to the games of the weekend, starting with our NBA watch of the night. On Friday night, the Warriors travel to Los Angeles to take on the Clippers. The game's on ESPN at 10.30 Eastern, 7.30 Pacific. Sharks,
1: boogie's well, he's back. back. <laughs> yes. Let's go. <laughs> I'm excited, but I just want to see. Do you think he'll be healthy? Who knows, right? That's what I'm curious to see.
0: I can't wait to see how they utilize him. Will Boogie be eased into like a Andrew Bogut-esque playmaking center role? Or will he just be coming in and being Boogie, trying to score, trying to get buckets? See, to me, it's more about his movement. Because, right, because it almost, I feel like no matter how they want to
1: use him, if he can't guard in space, <laughs> then he won't be playing in the playoffs.
0: Absolutely. I, I think with Boogie, he's going to have to play the defensive best defense of his life in the playoffs. Um, Which is going to be yeah. tough
1: coming off the biggest injury of his life. Like, that's not an easy thing to manage.
0: The Clippers have lost four in a row. They're percentage points ahead of the Lakers and Jazz, who are tied for that eighth spot. If they lose tonight, this could be their final time this season that they hold a the playoff spot, Sharks.
1: Isaac, give us some Clippers optimism.
0: What are you, what are you thinking I, right now? I have none. I have none to give. <laughs> oh, um, they've beaten
1: you down, huh? No, hey.
0: it's not they. It's really Doc insisting on playing Avery Bradley so many minutes and starting him and um, You know, Shea, Shea, Gilgis Alexander, and Pat Beverly, when they've started together, I I believe they've gone like six and one. And Doc refuses to give that lineup a try in the starting lineup. He (laughs) thinks that the problem is anything outside of Avery Bradley, which is (laughs) rather infuriating Uh, uh, for a Clippers fan. So zero optimism from me. Just only only, um, despair and utter lack of hope.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I think this more fits your lane as the depressed Clippers fan. This optimistic Clippers stay was never
0: really a good fit for you. And remember, <laughs> if you want to watch every NBA game, subscribe to NBA League Pass on NBA.com, Amazon, or your local cable or satellite provider. What else are we looking forward to this weekend, Sharks? I mean, to me, I'm on Pell's watch all the time. Yes.
1: I think it's just fun to watch Anthony Davis' back to the wall, see what he does. Like, the like game with the Clippers a couple nights ago was incredible. He had like 45 points, I think. Mm. And then he's he's going to Portland. You know, Portland's up for that game after that happened last year in the playoffs. So to me, New Orleans right now is like the team to watch. It's like this is it for that with Anthony Davis. So let's see what happens.
0: Every Anthony Davis game is a must-watch. That 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 would be my pick too, for this weekend. There's always a chance AD goes off for like 50, 20, 5. Five and five, <laughs> he's capable of. I that. mean, Nurkic <laughs> wants revenge, but I'm not sure <laughs> yeah. it's going to matter. So yeah, it's um, the Pelicans are only made more intriguing because they're a team in dire straits right now,
1: and they're healthy for the first time all yes, season exactly. for whatever that's worth. Mm-hmm. They got they got Hwan Moore back at Alfred Payton, and you know I don't know they had better players on Davis than they have all season. So
0: any other plans this weekend, Sharks? KOC, I got to ask. What about the Patriots, man? Patriots Super Bowl or what? <laughs> I'm not feeling great. Uh, I'm not feeling bad either, though. I, I think it's going to be a great game between the Patriots and Chiefs. Look, man, Patrick Mahomes is for real. He's a beast. He's he's the NFL's. He's already a great quarterback. He's the next NFL's great, great oh, okay. quarterback. Okay, Hold
1: on, hold on. Let me rephrase this. KOC, why are the Pats winning this game on Sunday? Don't don't give me political talk. <laughs>
0: give me the actual reason they're going to win. I need some homerism. Because they have Tom Brady and Bill Belichick still after all these years. And it's hard to pick against those guys with the amount of success they've had with their backs against the wall over the year. And I know people are getting annoyed for calling them underdogs this weekend, but they, they are underdogs. They're three-point underdogs this weekend. And there's been a lot of doubt against Tom Brady in the postseason. This is, entire season there's been doubt against him and he played a great game last week um hitting all his dink and dunk passes hit the the passes down the middle of the field when he had to Tom Brady it's hard to pick against him it's hard to pick against Bill Belichick with a week to prepare as well I want to watch the Chiefs just destroy you guys like I'm really
1: hoping for a demolition
0: (laughs) (laughs) I understand why it's okay (laughs) five Super Bowls you know it wouldn't wouldn't hurt too much after all these years it's hard to believe that's still going As I always say, don't take LeBron James for granted. Also, don't take Tom Brady for granted. Don't worry, KOC. We know you're not doing that. You're you're not taking it for granted. (laughs) That's all we have time for today. Thank you, Charles. Have a good weekend. Yeah, shout out to Danny Chow. It wasn't the same without you. Next up, we have Matt Quinn from the band Mount Joy. But first, let's hear from our sponsor. Today's Corner 3 is brought to you by Microsoft Surface. The new Microsoft Surface Pro 6 can help you get things done, whether you're on the field or running a business. Take Brian Arakpo and Michael Griffin, two former NFL teammates who have opened up a cupcake shop. With the Surface Pro, they can do everything they need, from setting schedules to creating promotions for social media and designing new flavors. Plus, it's light, super fast, and it has a great battery life. Brian and Michael are proving you can tackle all your passions with the power and speed of the new Surface Pro 6. Six, And now, let's bring in my friend Matt Quinn from the band Mountjoy. Welcome back. We're going to experiment with something a little bit different here today because on Thursday, we had the band Mountjoy in studio to record some songs for the Ringer's YouTube channel. And one of the band's founding members, Matt Quinn, is a lifelong Sixers fan. And we've had a lot of Sixers coverage on the website, but we thought it would be cool to get some perspective from somebody who doesn't work for us. So, today we have Matt Quinn from Mount Joy. Welcome to the show.
2: Hey, thanks for having me.
0: It seems like win or lose with this Sixers team. They have the fourth best record since they made the Jimmy Butler trade. There's still a sense of panic with this team that the Jimmy Butler doesn't fit. And yet there's the other side of Sixers fandom, and I get a lot of these tweets that it's like, give it time. This team is still gelling. What side do you find yourself on, Matt?
2: I think I find myself on the give it time, uh, especially recently we saw the, the Sixers are pretty up and down. I mean, I think last night, they, or a couple of nights ago, they thrashed the Timberwolves. And honestly, I think you've seen that, whether it's Embiid-Simmons or Embiid-Butler or any combination of the two, like their advanced statistics are pretty good offensively. And frankly, they've just needed... You know, you trade two starters for one, they've been looking for depth, right? So I think wait to see what happens with this team before we freak out.
0: And ultimately with this team, the deal was made to add a third star. They're one of the rare teams that have three superstar level players. So yes, in the regular season, they have the fourth best record since the deal was made. So they're doing fine despite not having training camp, despite not having a lot of practice time during the season. This deal was more about the playoffs.
2: For sure. And I think, I think you look at this team and I think last year they go into the playoffs, they're red hot they can't be beat, and all of a sudden they run into a, a well-coached team in the Celtics, and that's pretty much all they are. Uh, <laughs> uh, they run into a well-coached team who takes away Simmons, and they're left with this problem of, oh, now what? You go out and you get another piece, so if, if you have a, a night where Simmons is being taken away, you can run pick and roll with uh, Jimmy Butler and Joel Embiid in the fourth quarter, and I think at that point you're looking at a much different team to defend from you know, whoever it is.
0: When that report came out, Jimmy Butler reportedly wanted more isolations, more pick-and-rolls, which I think, look, maybe he took the wrong approach in calling Brett Brown at 1130 at night to yell at him for more pick-and-roll in isolation, but I think he's right that you need more of that when the game slows down in the playoffs.
2: No question. I think that's obviously, he's made a career uh, using those strategies, so I think it makes sense you move somewhere else, and after a little while, you're kind of like, hey, let's let me be me a little bit uh, to get the most out of what I do. I think that's fair.
0: Interestingly, uh, Spike Eskin from the Rights to Ricky Sanchez podcast wrote an article uh, earlier this week about how, you know, it's pretty compelling that he thinks the Sixers should trade Jimmy Butler. And his main point was basically, you have a guy ever since that team meeting who has stopped taking catch-and-shoot threes for whatever reason, even when he's wide open. He's somebody who clearly wants to run pick-and-roll, wants to win isolation, still views himself as the guy. And he thinks, you know, call those teams that were previously interested in Butler, the Heat, the Pelicans, Nets, and Rockets. So you don't lose him for nothing at the end of the season if he were to walk.
2: Sure, I mean, I get the I get the idea that you could potentially trade Covington, Sarge and ultimately at the end of the at the end of the season be left with nothing. But at the same time, we saw this with the Eagles. Being a Philly sports fan, it's like you only have a certain window, and I think Elton Brand talked about this with. Uh, I
0: think Zach Lowe. I think it was Zach's pod, yeah.
2: Um, about how the window for them they felt like was the the rest of this Simmons contract, right? Until his rookie contract is up, and I, I don't di-
0: twenty twenty. That's when that's up.
2: Yeah, and I and I don't disagree in the sense that you have Embiid. You can't look down too far into the future like that, where it's like you have Embiid playing at an MVP level, right? I mean, you've got a player who, when he's on his game, it's pretty hard to beat the Sixers because they're going to score. And and the only problem that they're really facing right now is a lack of depth and just no perimeter to defense. And if Butler is the kind of guy who can provide you that in this year's playoffs and you can pick up one piece or maybe maybe it's even something within, like Jonah Bolton hit four or five threes the other night. Zaire
0: Smith puts all his weight back on with his peanut allergy over, hopefully. Exactly, you know,
2: yeah. exactly. Whatever it is, I think they can find a way to to fill the gaps. And And the Sixers, I think it's a lot of the Philadelphia media market. And and maybe a certain other media market, uh, <laughs> maybe that I'm inside of right now, but they, they they get a lot of... There's a
0: lot of Philadelphia people here, more so than Boston, I'm just saying. Oh, just saying. Gosh.
2: If you look at what happens with the Sixers versus other teams, I think another really interesting point is that they just get so much up or down. Like, there's no looking at them, like you said, that they're doing fine. Granted, they're playing an easy schedule. I get that. They have a tough stretch coming up. I think the next 12 games are all versus teams over 500 which is a brutal stretch for them. And we'll find out a lot about the team in the next 12 games.
0: For what it's worth, we're recording this on Thursday, January 17th, and their upcoming schedule is Indiana, Oklahoma City, Houston, San Antonio, Denver, L.A. Lakers, which we'll have LeBron back at that point, you would think. Then Golden State, then Sacramento, who's tough, Toronto, Denver, L.A. Lakers, Celtics. That is an insane stretch leading up to the deadline. Then they have the Knicks, the last game before the the All-Star break.
2: Yeah, it's a tough stretch. I think we'll learn more about the team in that stretch than like, you know, A lot of what people are being bummed about is actually, you know, these two losses, right? They had Washington on a back-to-back, lost the— They lost the second one. Lost the second one, and then they went, turned around, and lost to, the, I think, the Hawks at home, which is one of the worst losses they've had on the season. But they also lost to the Cavs earlier in the year at home. They just—every once in a while, they just don't play well. That game also—anyone who watched that game, there were things happening in that game that were a bit of an aberration. I— Blanking on the guy's name, it dropped 29 points on us, and it was just, it was okay. Kevin, Her- to- Kevin Herter from the Ex- Hawks. It, yeah, exactly. Uh, so, point being, there's a lot of talk about the Sixers always up and down, that the sports radio, sort of Philadelphia, always trying to make a story. But, I mean, I think you look at like in the turmoil, the Jimmy Butler thing, I think there's a lot of characters that fit well with the narrative of like things are falling apart in Philadelphia.
0: I, I look at like the default sel- stuff and everything else and all that. Yeah. yeah and, and it's Simmons like Simmons and Embiid yelling at each other.
2: Yeah, and like I think there's probably maybe a kernel of truth to that. Like I, I I don't doubt that, but I also think at the same time, like they presented a pretty new piece. Give it some time. I think look at like the way. Just it's interesting to me the way the media covers the Sixers, right? Like I think look at the Celtics, right? Here's here's my thing about this. Is so so last night there was a story that Kyrie had called LeBron essentially to say uh, sorry, sorry that I was I was young, a, I was young and and whatever. <laughs> If you read the story, which like the real takeaway for if that was the Sixers, <laughs> the takeaway would be the team is in turmoil. But instead, the headline on on ESPN is is uh, Kyrie calls LeBron to to apologize. That story is about how the Celtics are in turmoil. But you don't hear all this all this talk about how you know Tatum and and uh, Jalen Brown Jalen Brown yeah. are are going up against Kyrie, and maybe there's this sort of like you know, elder statesmen not liking the young guys, which is the exact same (sighs) situation in Philly, literally the same situation. (laughs) You have this, like, is Jimmy Butler, like, meshing with the younger players, younger stars? Like, that's the same situation. It's just being told differently. If it were like, Jimmy Butler calls Brett Brown in the middle of the night, like, and that was the only story, like, I see it as similar situations.
0: With Kyrie, it is quite interesting. When I first saw the quote that dropped. I was like, oh, you know, great sign of growth from Kyrie to admit he was wrong to do that to to publicly call out his teammates, especially his younger teammates, and that's good that he did that. However, As everything else started filtering out, I find myself agreeing with Jeff Goodman from Watch Stadium, who said, Kyrie kind of made it about himself last night after they had a huge win over the Toronto Raptors coming back from down 11 points, saying how he called LeBron James, how when he was young, he also wanted it all. And so, you know, he understands that his teammates are in that mindset now. It's like, wait a minute, man. Like, your team just had an amazing overall team win. It just became about him. And I, I do think if that were, you know, Jimmy Butler it would be discussed quite a bit differently. And that's why, you know, with Spikes, like I said, it was a compelling argument to trade Butler, you know, with the threat that he would leave. However, I can't imagine the value would be there for them now. So, like, Miami at one point offered Josh Richardson, Kelly Olenek in an unprotected first-round pick for Jimmy Butler. The Pelicans offered something with uh, Nikola Mirotic, Etwan Moore and a first-round pick. The Rockets at one point offered the four first-round picks. I'm not sure that would even be there anymore. So I don't know if it would be worth it for the Sixers to pull the plug here when they have a legitimate third superstar player. And the fifth's not perfect, but it can work. And part of it is, as you're saying, running more pick-and-roll, using Ben Simmons in that screening role. And when he's on the floor, Butler and Bede combination can play a different type of style.
2: I mean, I think you're trying here to, like, talk about the Celtics' big victory, which is fine, but I I think there's a fair point to be made that's being glossed over, which is simply the fact that the Sixers get this microscopic lens on them by the the national media and the local media, to be fair. But teams like the Celtics have equal turmoil, and you just don't hear about it. I think the Sixers are just under a microscope in comparison to teams like, you know, for all we know, like, Jalen Brown
0: doesn't like Kyrie Irving. Is that a problem? Sometimes it doesn't seem like it, does it? Sometimes some I would imagine if you're Jalen Brown after the playoff run that you had last season when you were just killing it, and then Gordon Hayward comes back and he's not Gordon Hayward anymore. He and last uh, against that um, against the Raptors on Wednesday night, he looked terrific. Um, but overall this season, he's had a lot of dud performances. He does not look the same finishing around the rim. So it's like for the Sixers, the Markel Fultz problem is a unique thing. But so was the Gordon Hayward thing, a guy they're paying $30 million, a guy who had the serious injury that he did that just does not look the same. I mean, earlier this season in an article, I I said how he looks essentially like a a slightly better Evan Turner. And I do think some of these issues are a little bit glossed over, partially, and I think this is why it might be, because the team's depth is still really good. It's a really deep team with a lot of talent. When they like each other. when, When they like each other. Whereas with the Sixers, it's, as you said earlier, Matt... They don't have a lot of depth. They their perimeter defense is pretty much non-existent with Furkan Korkmaz and Landry Shamit and JJ Reddick. These are good offensive players, but on the defensive end of the floor, even TJ McConnell. Well, oh, Corey Brewer now. I mean, Corey Brewer. He's going to change everything on that ten day. I'm ready for the title. I think ultimately the depth is the number one issue, though. Uh, do you feel confident in them being able to add depth on the buyout market? I
2: heard yesterday. Um, that there was some whisperings of Noah
0: Vonleh. Yeah, they did express interest in him.
2: I don't know that he's the necessarily the answer or anything like that, but it just shows you that, like, the Sixers, and they said it when they made the trade, they're not done. This isn't their completed roster. It can't be. If they don't add anyone, yeah, it's going to be a, a weird playoffs when we have, like, a six-man rotation and everyone's tired, but I, I can't imagine they're done.
0: What is Ben Simmons' ideal role? He's the
2: catalyst for them playing fast. And I think when this team plays fast and plays with energy on on the defensive end, that leads to fast breaks. When they're when they're running, just watching the process Sixers like that's the biggest thing that like got them from this place of purposely lo- well maybe purposely losing games uh, to this team could beat anybody is they just and and you saw it at the end of last year specifically and and the Heat had trouble with it and tried to slow us down is that when they're playing fast and running and grabbing. Defensive rebounds, and he's moving up the court. And him in transition, when he's confident, uh, it's what got everyone so excited about. You know, talk about his ceiling or, or what he could become as a Hall of Fame type ceiling player, Magic Johnson esque player. It's just him in the open floor. He's six foot ten. He's quick. He makes great passes. Makes great decisions when he's moving and not you know kind of overthinking the half court version of Ben Simmons is obviously what people have taken issue with, and probably that's probably somewhat fair, I think, but. For his role, for me, it's like just open him up, let him play fast. You know, in in the half court, obviously you have to have some sort of position for him. I know everyone's like worried about like can he play in the half court, but I think that's why you get a Jimmy Butler if like you're stalling in the half court because Ben Simmons
0: because he shoots with the wrong hand and can't space the floor.
2: (sighs) Well, hopefully they'll edit that out. Uh, (laughs) I I think uh, yeah, I think his role for me is just. Let him play fast. Let him not think too much. And then if if you're in a playoff series, which is what this whole thing is about, everyone talks about the regular season. The Sixers are going to make the playoffs, and someone's going to have to beat him four times to to get him out. And I think what it ultimately comes down to is, okay, you have Jimmy Butler, you have Ben Simmons, you have Joel Embiid. Hopefully, like we said, they've, they've put some pieces around them. At the very least, between the Sixers, the Celtics, Pacers, and the Raptors, in my opinion, you have a potential really intriguing Eastern Conference Finals if it, if it shakes out, you know, it goes chalked like that.
0: I, I noticed you guys are going on tour later this month, January 27th until April 7th. Is that intentional that you're stopping right before the playoffs begin?
2: <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I'm glad. I'm glad we are. Uh, but I don't think that's intentional now,
0: unfortunately. What What are some NBA cities that you guys are hitting on this tour? I haven't done much traveling. Like, where, should I, where should I try to go next for, uh, for stories?
2: I think, our favorite one so far, just because I know they've got a great team this year, Toronto is, is such a cool NBA city that I feel like is kind of forgotten in the, uh, especially now they have such a good team, but it's also just such an amazing city. So that's a cool one.
0: You guys dropped your first album last March, March 2018. Um, I remember when I first heard you guys, it was with uh, the Ringers, Sean Yu, who does video, a lot of great video stuff for us, and his roommate, Sean Wagner, and they played uh, I'm Your Wreck and Dirty Love for Me. And I heard those first two songs. I was like, this is dope. I went back that night and listened to The Elm. And the next night, you guys were playing at the Troubadour. And I, we connected, and I went to the show, and I, I went to Guisado's to get tacos in West Hollywood before it. And what do you know? A serendipitous moment. You, Michael, and Sam are in line in front of me. And later that night, who did we meet?
2: Keifer Sutherland. Yeah, <laughs> that was a pretty crazy night. You know, was, I think it was our... You know, playing at the Troubadour was one of our all-time kind of favorite shows, and just to, have to walk off the stage and the show went well performance-wise for us, so we were all feeling good and and kind of walked off the stage and just I, our our one of our managers tapped me on the shoulder and he's like, "Hey, some, somebody wants to talk to you." <laughs> and I was kind of like, "Oh, okay," and I turn around and it's just Jack Bauer. <laughs> <laughs> it was sort of surreal, so for funny.
0: what was he, he was doing a little whispering. And you guys' ears, giving big hugs. He was, he was extremely sober, for what it's worth. Yeah, yeah. What was he whispering?
2: Uh, I don't know. I feel like I have this bond with him where like I can't share that. Uh, like,
0: I, it's, it's like when LeBron covers his mouth post-game. Uh, You're just not going to say.
2: I, I, he was saying <laughs> things. I'll say this. It was like, he's such a cool and super nice guy to have come and, and said nice things about our music, of course, which is awesome. But he's also like exactly who you would expect he is. Mm. Like, if you have that image from 24, which is at least my image, growing up watching that, he is intense yeah. and super kind, but intense, and he's definitely, like, actively trying to save the world and all the things you think he's doing.
0: I felt that, too. Uh, are, are you guys going to do any work with him from the New Try to get Kiefer, you know, featuring Kiefer Sutherland? <laughs> if you're
2: out there, if, if he's listening, yeah.
0: Are you guys writing for yeah. New
2: Yeah, so this, this January, we've been off uh, the road for the first time in a long time and finally been able to, like, it's kind of like NBA, honestly in that you really don't get time to practice. Like, I've always heard that about teams. You know, they're essentially similar to musicians. They're on tour or these road trips, like...
0: It's traveling, getting into the hotel at 11 p.m. at night, waking up early, maybe you get a shoot around, but no practice time.
2: Yeah, yeah. and I, mean, I think a big part of that is, like, the reality I think a lot of people don't think about for for music touring, and it's got to be true for these these guys as well, doing the sports traveling. It's like, traveling takes so much out of you that... that I have to imagine the last thing that these coaches would want to do is like, you know, you take a cross-country flight to Portland and, you know, the team's tired, waking up with the jet lag. Last thing you want to do is run an hour and a half practice up and down the court when, you know, you need every ounce of energy, you know, especially if it's a long road trip that you can. So I think for us getting back here, not being on the road, we've finally been able to practice, which is like, seems so fundamental to what we do but you really you know except for sound checks you really don't get that much opportunity
0: well that was fun but unfortunately we're going to out of the studio so it's all we have time for today thank you Matt yeah thanks for having me Kevin appreciate it thank you again to Jonathan Charks we're looking forward to the return of Danny Chow next Friday we'll be back on our normal schedule Thank you for listening to The Corner 3. Please give us a five-star rating on iTunes, a like on YouTube, share, subscribe, tell your friends, etc. Thank you to Isaac Lee for engineering the podcast and to Bobby Wagner for producing. Thanks again for listening. Hope you have a beautiful weekend.